0: Everything that happens there really revolves around and in and around the temple. In chapter 11, we see Jesus going into the temple. In chapter 13, we see him going out never to return. And so what we find is this is, as we will see, Jesus' time in the temple was marked by constant clashes with the religious leaders Every time he turns around, he's being confronted one way or another. In fact, there are seven clashes between he and and the religious leaders. Three of those are initiated by Jesus. Four of those were initiated by the religious leaders themselves. Now, why is anyone trying to pick a fight with sweet Jesus? Well, the reason they're picking a fight is because they want him to fall. They want to ask him questions, very difficult questions that will cause him to lose face and popularity in midst of the people. They would also love for him to be able to say something that sounds blasphemous that they can use against him so that they can arrest him and possibly even use it to put him to death. That's what their hopes and desires are. Now, these seven confrontations here that we're going to see over the next couple chapters, uh, they really kind of um, uh, surround or center around four major issues. They include authority, government, the resurrection, and then finally, a question concerning what was the greatest commandments. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at that first major point, authority, um, if you remember, and specifically, the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us, and I know not all of you have, and that's okay, but if you were to have been with us through this book, you would have seen Jesus doing some pretty amazing things. I mean, Jesus has given sight to the blind. He's, he's made the lame walk. He's given life to those who had no life. He raised uh, the dead to life. He's done some amazing things, and and Mark throughout has let us know that the response of the people around him to not only what he's done, but what he's taught has been amazement. They've been amazed by what they've seen. They've been astonished by what it is that they hear. But let me ask you this question. What do you think of all that Jesus did and all that Jesus taught? What was it about Jesus that amazed them the most? What do you think it was? Well, the scriptures kind of give us a hint to that. In Mark chapter one and verse 22, Mark wrote these words. He says, "And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as now notice this, with one, as one, with authority." In Mark chapter one and verse 27, it says, "And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, "What is this? A, a new teaching with authority?" So what amazed the people so much about Jesus was not simply what he did and and what he said, but how he did it. He did it with authority that they had never experienced before in any part or any time of their life. This morning, we're going to be taking a close look at this passage this morning and seeing what the Bible says specifically about this topic and issue of authority. Now, there are three things that we want to see. First of all, we, want to, we, we note in this text that sinful man hates authority, right? Sinful man hates authority. Now, our story begins here in 1127. Follow along in your Bibles, if you will. The Bible says, and they came again to Jerusalem. So mark this, note this. Uh, according to Mark, Jesus has been in Jerusalem now for three days. And now for the third time, he's spending time inside of the temple. And as he's there, the Bible says, and he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So three different groups come at the same time and confront Jesus. Now, these three three groups are significant. They're significant because they make up a a, a ruling body known as the Sanhedrin. They basically were the go-between, if you will, between Rome and the Jewish people. And they held great power. They had absolute religious power there in Jerusalem amongst the Jewish people, and they had They had some political influence politically with Rome, but really they were under the authority of Rome. But when it came to issues of religion, came to religions with the temple, they were the authority. And so these men, very influential, probably not all of them, there were 71 members in the Sanhedrin, most likely just little groups, several of each of these groups come over to Jesus. They confront him and here's what they say to him in verse 28, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? So they're not questioning what he did. They're questioning whether or not he has the authority and the credentials to be able to do those things. Uh, it would be kind of like this. Say you're in your home tonight. You go home. You, you sit there. You watch the Rifleman, the recordings of the Rifleman that I like to watch. Nobody else watches those. So I like to watch reruns of the Rifleman and say, we're, I got a Rifleman. Thank you, ma'am. Rifleman, all the ladies are riflemen is it because he's 6'6 and he's a big hunk is that why you guys are the riflemen that's not why I watch it men that's not why I watch it because he's one cool dude that's why I watch it you're sitting there and say at night when it's dark somebody knocks on your door and says come out and you say there who is it and they say I'm not going to tell you who it is just come out I'm going to handcuff you and stick you in a car and I'm going to take you away all right you need to make sure that whoever's telling you these things has the credentials to be able to make sure that you do these things. You need to see a badge. You need to see, I'm always protecting you, all right? I'm just looking after you. If they don't have a police car and a badge and, and, and all these things, don't go with them. They don't have the authority to be able to do it. So they want to know, Jesus, what credentials do you have? What authority do you have to do? And then they, then they say, these things. Now, these things are immediately evident within this text, but it is within the context. Remember what Jesus did the day before this. When he entered into the temple, he saw a whole lot of things going on that he did not like. He saw that the people had taken his father's house, a house of prayer, and they had made it into a den of thieves. And he is put out. And what does he begin to do? He begins to drive the people out. Those buying and selling, he drives them out. He drives the animals out, he, he turns over tables for the money chamber, changers, he, he tips it over. He no longer allows people to use the temple as a shortcut from one part of the city to the next, and the Bible even says he begins to teach, and the Bible says that he was, the people were astonished by what it was that he was saying. Very clearly, the day before, Jesus demonstrated and, and took part in a clear act of authority, and listen to this. These guys, these religious leaders, they don't like it one single bit. They don't like it at all. Now, please understand, it's not that they don't like authority. In fact, they love authority as long as they're the ones that have it. They they, they love it. Do you know anyone like that? Bump your... Your husband, yeah, that's you, man. That's who we talked about. You know, in, in, in our office Mondays, we meet and we all sit down, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we sit there and say, okay, Dan, you do this. John, you, you guys all do this and tell everybody what they need to do. And I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, yeah, but what are you going to do? You told us to do this. Okay, Mr. I'm in charge. What are you going to do, right? And so here are some people that this is the kind of guys they like to be. Jesus begin not like me, by the way, that's just their perception, I do things, all right? And so Matthew chapter 23, um, Jesus begins to talk about their love affair with authority. And he says of them, he says that they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move their little finger. In other words, they love to tell everybody what to do. And they love to begin to heap on them all these things they have to do so they, they can't even breathe, but they won't do anything for themselves. And it goes on, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love the position of authority, but they don't like being under authority, especially this Jesus guy. Now, remember, this isn't the first confrontation that these guys have had with Jesus. Jesus has been undermining their authority for three to three and a half years now. Ever since he began his ministry, he's confronting these guys. He's undermining them. He's usurping authority over them. Let me give you kind of a couple examples that Pharisees and scribes, religious leaders, always taught people don't hang out with sinners. Don't come in contact. You could touch them and you'll be unclean. Don't mess with these sinful people. Have nothing to do with tax collectors. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to eat with them. This is why I came. So I'm going to go eat and and have a feast with them. You guys stay out. I'll, I'll go and fellowship with them. What's he doing? He's undermining their authority and their teachings. Then again, in chapter two, and verse 28, the Pharisees added burdensome laws to the Sabbath. Remember what the Sabbath was. It was a day of rest, to rest in God. To rest in your hope and your trust in God, that you would work uh, uh, six days and He would supply for seven days. It was a restful day. The, The 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 religious leaders made it anything but restful. They gave all of these laws, hundreds of laws, that they were to follow to make sure that they don't break the Sabbath. I mean, you couldn't even spit on that day. Now, I know some of you are like, well, that's probably a good law. Spitting is bad and a nasty habit. But, but one of the laws they literally had was that if you spit, you could spit, but if it actually rolled over more than a half a rotation when it hit the ground, that was work. You were guilty of breaking the Sabbath, okay? I mean, this is an actual rule and law that they would have. And so it became this draining type thing. What can we do? What can we not do? We can't do anything. Just sit here. Jesus comes along and he completely redefines the Sabbath. And he says, the Sabbath, he goes, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for the good of man. So he, again, undercuts them and undercuts their authority. Uh, Then in chapter 7, in verse 1 through 13, remember that they love traditions. They love oral traditions. They came up with all these oral traditions and they were so angry with Jesus because Jesus would not take part in their oral traditions, and they get angry with him. So what does Jesus do? He rebukes them and he tells them, what you have done is far worse because what you have done is you have elevated your oral traditions above the very sacred law of God. So he rebukes them. So this confrontation is constantly going on and they hate it. Why? Very simply put, theologically, here's why, is because sinful man hates authority. Hates authority. Why? 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 Sinful man hates authority because it is a part of a sinful nature. Remember Adam and Eve? There they are. Everything's perfect to God. God has created them. Here they are in the garden. Did you know that we were created to rely on God? We were created in a way that would be dependent upon God. We are dependent people. You will be dependent on someone. And God says, I'm going to create you. And the happiest you will ever be is when you completely and fully trust me and depend on me. I'll take care of you. Here's what he says. He says, you may eat of any of the trees. See all this, you can eat of any of it except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, one day they determine that they know better than God. They're going to be their own authority, so they choose to eat of that tree. They eat of what they were not supposed to. What was their sin? Very simply put, it was rebellion against God. That's the definition of all sin. Sin is rebelling against the authority of God. What we're saying is, you're no longer the authority. I am now the authority. Folks, and so what happens is, when, after the fall and after the curse, all of creation was now under the curse. So everybody would be born after that point by a man and by a woman. They would be born with a fallen nature, with a sinful nature, and we would be born coming out primed and ready to rebel. Right? Right? No? Have you had children? All right. The child, oh, it's so precious, precious. My earlobe, right? No. It comes out fighting and spitting and tearing. Maybe not at first because they're sleeping. But after that, what do they do? I don't want diaper on. I I, I want that. ah, I don't know how your kids are, but this is how they came out naturally. They got it honestly from their dad. I know that. But we all did from our forefather, Abraham. We were in Sin And so because of that, men want and feel and sense this desire to rebel against authority. Don't we hear this rebellion? Don't we hear it maybe even in the words that we say? Who are, who are you to tell me what to do with my life? Uh, I, who, who died and made you God? Uh, you aren't boss of me. Are you my boss? You're not my boss. Here's my favorite one back in the trailer park on the playground. You're not my mama. You're not my mama. You look like my mama. Yeah, that's right. Except for my you're uglier than my mama, but you, you know, you might look, you ain't my mama. You can't tell me what to do. Do you remember this? It's something that we hear and maybe a little more grown up-ish, but it's still kind of the same idea. People will ultimately say, hey, listen, keep your laws off my body. If I want to kill the child inside of me, that's my, who are you to tell me whether that's right or not? It's my body. Do do you hear this? Do you hear it in our culture? Do you hear it in our world? We hear it, then we see it. We see children rebelling against their parents. We see wives rebelling against the leadership of their husbands, refusing to submit to that godly leadership. We see men refusing to submit to Christ, and to be the spiritual leaders of their home. We, we, we see it. We see, we see employees rebelling against, against their employers. We see people ask me constantly and say, Mike, you know, why are these churches, so many of these churches a mess? Here's why. Nobody, n- nobody wants to be under the authority of anybody, and that's the problem with the church. The word of God is not an authority to them. The man that's preaching and God has set up elders within a church to be able to lead. And those who who come and join are submitting themselves to the leadership of those elders. So before you join, consider that. But you know what people do? Hey, why is anybody going to tell me what to do? Even in the church. Hey, I got a right. I have a voice. I should be able to speak. I've got ideas. I've got wants. You need to listen to me. Everybody fights against this. We hear it. We see it. But most of all, I think we feel it. Right, don't you feel that? Don't you feel when somebody tells you something to do? Stay up, Please don't walk on that grass. <laughs> I didn't want to walk on the grass until you just said, don't walk on the grass. Now I kind of want to walk on the grass. I, got, I felt this this last week or about a week ago. My wife was like, listen, I, I didn't want to tell you this. Uh, Friday, just so that you guys know, is, is kind of my day off, kind of. It really doesn't seem to ever work that way. Um, if people's life are going to fall apart, it's going to be on Friday. It's just it's, it's like, hey, just keep it together until Friday. right? And then Friday comes, all falls apart. Hey, okay, whatever. Uh, uh, and, and so it's just the way that it happens. And so, so we're sitting there on Friday, and my wife's like, I didn't want to show you this or anything. She goes, but you got a jury summons for this Friday. Who do they think they are? my day off. So i want to go out in the woods. I want to shoot something. I don't care what it is. I just want to shoot something and shoot at something. I don't care what it is. Not illegal. Just, you know, shoot something. I don't care what it is, a tree, whatever, bush. I don't care what it is. Who are they to come in and take my place? And now I have to be there. Listen, why in the world should I have to do, oh, and now I have to wear a suit and a jacket and tie? I don't even know if I have a jacket and tie anymore. So now I got to go down there 8 30 in the morning and be able to sit there with a whole bunch of people. Some of you were there, by the way. And so a whole bunch of people, wonderful people, and all these people. Now I got to go down there? And so people ask, well, did you do it? Of course I did it. <laughs> what, do you think I'm stupid? Of course I went down there and did it. But did I like it? No, there was a part of me, man, it was a rub. It was a rub. You say, well, wait a minute now. Theologically, why in the world is there a rub for you when you said we have a sin nature, but when Christ saves us and changes us, we no longer have that sin nature? 2 Corinthians 5.17, old things have passed, all things have passed away, everything has become new. We become new. We have now a new nature that desires the things of Christ. Yes, but we're still within our sinful flesh. And within our sinful flesh, there is a desire for us to rebel against authority. Um, you know, sometimes people will ultimately say this. They'll say, you know what? I don't think I have a problem. I've never met a person who said that they had a problem with authority, have you? But most of us do. Most people are like, hey, yeah, that's okay, tell me what to do, it's all right, I can follow directions, it's no problem. This is interesting, sometimes you can go and you can even work with people within the church, and you can tell those that are used to giving orders and those who are not, right? You're out there and you're like, hey, do you mind doing this? Well, I don't think that's really the appropriate thing to be able to do. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not at work, Uh, let me go ahead. And it's it's just that struggle to be able to hear and to be able to tell what to do, but we don't like to admit it. A young man by the name of Timothy was in my youth group and Timothy came up to me one day and, and I just told him, I said, brother, we need to talk, man. I said, you are in rebellion towards your parents. You are rebelling against your school teachers, your coaches, because you're rebelling against me. Every time I try to come and try to give you some kind of instruction, you just rebel against it. You have a real hard time with authority. You know, he says, I don't have a time with authority. I have no problem with authority. I just don't like people telling me what to do. All right. So there we are, define it whatever way it is, whether it's you have a problem with authority, whether you just don't like people to tell you what to do, here's the key, sinful man hates authority. All right, take that up here on this side because now we're gonna take another point and this point is gonna conflict with this point over here. Sinful man hates authority. Here's point two, Jesus has absolute authority. See the conflict? You can see it coming, can't you? Like two, two trains about to collide. So what do we find? Look at verse 29. Jesus said to them, I ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, now check out what's kind of going on here. Jesus, it was customary for rabbis to answer a question by asking a question. All right. And so they, somebody asked him a question, they asked the question. We've seen Jesus do this time and time again. And so what he says is he says, listen, I will answer your question, but you first have to answer my question. Now, he asks something, and it almost appears like Jesus is trying to kind of dodge the conversation. He's trying to evade the question so that he doesn't have to ask the question that they're ultimately asking. But when you look a little bit closer to the question that Jesus asked them, you find out that there's actually within it the answer to their initial question of, Whose authority does he speak and act upon? What was it that Jesus said? No, notice his question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, he says heaven because it was customary for Jews, it was their custom not to use the name of God out of respect and reverence to him. Well, we've come a long way, haven't we? And so they just used heaven, but this is what he means. He's asking, was the baptism of John, was it from God Or was it ultimately from man? Now, here's the key. If you answer that question correctly, then they will know by whose authority Jesus has. Answer the one, you'll have the answer to the second one. And so what does he do? Well, let's go back. Turn back to Mark chapter one, and verse nine, and let's see whether baptism, and and I think he's talking about John's baptism as a whole, but more specifically, one specific baptism that he took part in, okay? Mark chapter one, in verse 9. You tell me whether it's of God or of man. There it says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased from God or from man. Look, how are you supposed to respond? You're sitting there. Man comes, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All of a sudden, the heavens split. Something like a dove comes down on Jesus and you hear a booming voice. This is my son in whom I will please. From God or from man? From God, very clearly. This is something they should have known. It's something they would have heard about. Some of the religious leaders were even there at the time. But what Jesus is in essence is saying is this. He's giving them the understanding that because that was of God, that at that point it was at his baptism that he also received absolute authority from the Father. He says it was at that point that I received authority from my Father. Now listen, uh, Mark has not been hiding this idea of authority for him. In fact, it's been evident throughout the entire book. Earlier in the book, in Mark chapter 4, in verses 39 through 40, we saw Jesus' authority over all creation. Do you remember the boat, the ship, they're afraid it's going to go down? What happens? It says, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now listen, I wish I could do that. I wish whenever I'm ready to go out and have a good time and the rain is coming, I could say, peace be still, and it would just all go away. But guess what? Nothing. It just keeps coming. Why? I have no authority. Jesus has all authority over all creation. Number two, Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, we saw that Jesus had authority over the spirit world. What's happening? Jesus confronts the demoniac. Here's a man with literally thousands of demons within him. He comes to him and he says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then in verse 13, it says this, and the unclean spirits came out of him. He had absolute authority over the spirit world. Number three, then in Mark chapter five, verse 43, we saw that Jesus had authority over life and death. Do you remember the man, he came to Jesus, and, and, and he says, he says, listen, my, my little girl, she's sick. She's dying. If you don't come, she's gonna die. She ends up dying. Jairus' daughter. And so he comes to her, and what does he say? Taking her by the hand, the scriptures say, to Luthakumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Here's Jesus having authority over what? He has authority over all creation. He has authority over the spiritual world. He has has authority over life and death. And in case we're missing it and thinking that there's a little area somewhere where, where he doesn't have authority, Jesus sums it up in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Now, this is what I love. Jesus is very clear there. Everything is included. And then Paul thinks he just needs to kind of really let us understand what kind of authority is, this is. As though all authority doesn't make sense. He knows that some of us are slow learners. So he adds this in Ephesians 1.21. Speaking of Jesus' authority, he says that God seated Jesus far above All rule and authority and power and dominion. So he says, don't think that Jesus just has a little bit of authority over everybody else. Over the president and over the UN. It's not just a little bit of authority. He says that he is far above, infinitely above all else in authority. That's Jesus. And he says, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but notice this, but also in the age to come, no matter where or when he holds ultimate authority, all authority in him. Now here's what's awesome. What does that mean? It means that Jesus can do what he wants, where he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and to whom he wants, and he doesn't have to answer to anyone, to you or to me. He is absolutely, sovereignly in control. What he wants, he will do. It will not be stopped. You can complain, you can object, but it doesn't change the fact that he has all authority. I cannot tell you how comforting that is, that Jesus Christ has authority over the U.S. Congress. That he has authority over the U.S. president. That he has authority all over all of these crazy dictators around the world. That Jesus has authority over the U.N. for heaven's sake. He has all authority. What a wonderful and glorious thing that is. I got to tell you, you guys did better than the first. I was expecting that, at least maybe I dream of this, that one day you guys would stand up and applaud and say, praise Jesus, amen, hallelujah, amen, brother, I'm with That's what I was kind of hoping and dreaming, but that didn't have, thank you, sister. That didn't really happen in the first. It kind of happened here in the second. So let me, let's just pretend for a second. Let's just pretend you did and, that really did actually get you fired up to the point that your mouth actually had to say something. And, and so you were really, really excited. And, and as I pictured it, yes, yes, yes. Then I was gonna, then I was gonna slam you. See, and you're like, see, that's why we don't say anything. Because what I was gonna do is I was gonna come in then and I said, now, let me ask you. All of us are so excited about the authority of God and he's got authority over the devil and the demon world and life and death and over all creation and over cancer and over over, over, over militias around the world. Amen! Then I wanted to be able to bring this, but are you as enthusiastic about his sovereign authority over you? Because it's not just that he can do anything anywhere, anytime, to whomever he wills. He has authority over you and me, absolute authority. So there's really only one question to be asked, and it's really my last point is in a question because it doesn't, he, the question is not, does he have authority? Yes, he does. He's got all authority. Or where does he get it? This is what they're trying to get at because he got it from his father. The only question remaining is, do we acknowledge that authority? He has it. The question is, do you acknowledge it? And then if you acknowledge it, do you acknowledge it in all areas? So now notice this. This is basically what Jesus is asking them. When he says, is it from God or is it from man? He's asking them, will you acknowledge my authority? And there's three ways to really to be able to answer this. And we see the, 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 the religious leaders answer. Number one, you can, or you can respond in the affirmative where you recognize that he has all authority. In verse 31, notice what it says. It says, and they discussed it. Now mark that, if you, if you take notes, mark that word because we're going to come back to it. In just a minute, it says, and they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? So they do not want to answer in the affirmative. They do not want to say, yes, it's from God, because then if he says, yes, it's from God, then they're going to say, well, then why didn't you listen to John the Baptist and take part in his baptism? Repent and be baptized. Then, if that's true, and if he affirms it, then he has to affirm that Jesus has authority, and his authority comes from God. They do not want to have anything to do with that answer. All right, they will not. They do not want to answer that way. Second way to answer the question of Jesus' authority is in the negative. In the negative, he says, "If it gives, um, it, verse, sorry, verse thirty-two. But shall we say from man?" Because they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. He says, now this is really how they want to answer. What they really want to do is say, no, it was from man. His baptism was from man and therefore Jesus' baptism was from man. Therefore, he has no authority to do what he did. Therefore, he goes to prison and he dies. That's what they wanted to say. But they couldn't say it because there's a catch. The crowd, they were man pleasers. They were afraid of him. And if they were to say that John the Baptist was nothing more than a man whom they believed was a prophet, then ultimately what would happen is they would turn on them and they were afraid. So either in the affirmative, okay, or you can, you can, in the negative sense, say yes, no, but there is a third way. And these little smart little jokers, they figure out a third way. And here's what they do. The Bible says here in the third way, what you could do is you can play dumb. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of played dumb before? What are, we, what are we talking about? Chicken Little, one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Chicken Little sits there, his dad comes, the big, the big chicken, and he's like, hey, so do you want to talk about father and son relationships? And he just kind of looks for a second, and he says, what were you talking about? right?" And he just wants to change the subject, doesn't want to talk about it, right? and everything. It's kind of what these guys do here. What they do is they simply play dumb. They say to him, they answer to Jesus, we do not know. Now, Understand something, I believe that that's a lie. I do believe, and we don't have time to go through it this morning, but I really do believe that some of those Pharisees, scribes, some of those priests, they knew who Jesus was. They knew the word, they knew intellectually who he was. They they saw him coming, but their love for control and power and and affection of the people was so great that they literally, even though they identified and all the signs were there, and many times Jesus was not keeping it a secret at all, especially when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. When he comes in, what do they do? They deny him, they reject him. What do they do in Romans 1? They're suppressing truth and unrighteousness. They know it's true, but they suppress that truth. We, we, just, we, we just don't want to know anything about it. What did they do? They decided, that instead of saying yes or no, they just want to have a discussion about it. Now we're back to this particular word again, discussed. To discuss something, that word, same Greek word, is used seven times in the book of Mark, and it's significant. And here's why. Because every time that it's used, whether it's used for them, or whether it's used for the disciples, who, when they were discussing who was greater right? And ultimately, even greater than Jesus, that's what they're kind of losing sight of. Whenever it is, here's how it's used. It's used when the people try to evade the force of Jesus' authority on them. So Jesus comes, makes something very clear, and what do they do? Well, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Very clear of what he says. Hey, let's have a conversation. Not yes, not no, conversation. This works. You know, I love, hey, listen, I'll take any bit of encouragement that I can get. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm the kind of guy, you can sit there and go, hey, we love you. I love that, okay? I love that, just telling you. Love encouragement. And in some folks will, will attempt to encourage me. They'll come and they'll say, hey, Brother Mike, man, we just gotta tell you, man, listen, thank you so much for preaching the word because it gives us so much to talk about through the week. And we have this great discussion. We leave, and before we even pull out, man, we're already talking about that sermon, what the Word of God says is, and we talk about it, and we go home, and we talk about it some more, and sometimes it will come up, and sometimes I'll talk about it at work and what it is that God is ultimately doing. We thank you so much. We have a great discussion on it. Now, that is wonderful if, if by discussion what you're saying is that you were talking over the truths of God once again, to make sure you had a clear understanding of what was being taught. And then in your discussion, you were talking about how you would now submit to the sovereign uh, will and authority to God, which was conveyed from that text. If that's it, amen, amen, and amen. But what I have found is more the case, it is not so much people discussing it in order to be able to rightly. Uh, apply and to live out the truth and to submit to God's authority as it is merely just to have a discussion about it let's just talk about that sermon because for whatever reason just kind of talking about it just kind of makes us feel better about ourselves I've had folks do I've sat down and they've counseled and they've asked this question brother Mike what is the Bible what do you think about this particular issue what do you think about cohabitating with somebody who's not your spouse Well brother, it really doesn't matter what I believe. What really matters is we're under subjection authority of Jesus Christ. So you take into some scriptures and you say, Do not commit adultery or or you know, and you can go on and you take into the different passages and everything. But then they sit there and they go, Huh. But what about you do you guys understand what I'm saying? And what that is, is instead of submitting to the clear te- and sometimes I'm just I'm amazed how in light of God's clear, authoritative commands in his word, how many Christians prefer discussing God's commands rather than submitting to them. Well, let's talk about that. The Bible says to go, to be radical givers, radical goers, people, are, people in the church. Let's discuss that Stop. Let me just explain something. Discussing. God's authority is not the same as obeying God's authority. It's the same as disobeying God's authority if you do not submit to it. Now, we're all about questions. We're all about people sitting there going, I don't really understand this. How does this apply? If it is an authentic question and discussion, let's have it. Let's work at our salvation with fear and trembling. It's what small groups are for, right? How does this work? How does this apply? But if our wanting of a discussion is to do nothing more than to evade the commitment and the, and the submission to the all authority of God, then we're in trouble. Then we're in trouble. And people will do this all the time. If, if that's where we are, are we any different than the religious leaders? Let's just discuss it. Let's just give us some time to think over this. no. It's not time to think about it anymore. It's no time for discussion. It's time to do it, to do what God has called us to do. Hey, propagate the gospel throughout the world. Well, let's have a discussion. No discussion, do. The Bible says that we are supposed to be giving to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many of you right now will sit there and go, well, let's have a conversation about this. No more conversation. Do what God has called you authoritatively to do. All right, now here's, here's another thing I want you to know. Jesus then said to him, now Jesus, notice Jesus' response. Neither will I tell you by what authority that I do these things. I love this. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, if you will not acknowledge my authority, I will not acknowledge and respond to you. Did you catch that? He says, if you don't acknowledge me, and my authority, then I will not answer your request. I will not respond to it. Now, you stop and think about that for a minute. You tell me how many people do you think are either in this place, in the first service. Let's not count them out because they're bigger sinners than you. So let's, let's just say the first people. So we got the first, the first group and churches all over the nation. Just check this out. How many people, how many of us do you think are in this position? God, here we are because we want something from you. Here's the questions. Here's what we want. Here's why I want want you to give. And here's what Jesus is saying all the time. But what I want from you is for you to acknowledge my absolute sovereign rule over your life. Will you first do that? Let's deal with that. But Jesus, I don't want to deal with that. What I want is you to give me what I want. What I want is you to help me with what I need help with. Jesus, come with me. This is what Jesus is saying to many of you today. Here it is. If you will acknowledge him and his sovereignty over you and obey where you know you are willfully disobeying, he will respond to you. Don't expect him to respond to you if you do, do not acknowledge his absolute authority. Are you guys understanding that? Do you really, really get it? Because what we're gonna do is we're gonna leave and some of you are still gonna be in that sin. You're gonna sit there and you're gonna still wanna talk about it. No more talking, doing. Let's talk about it. You don't wanna talk about it. You're gonna keep moving on. And what you're going to miss is you're going to sit there and go, I don't understand why God's not working in our life. I don't understand why God's not responding to me. Jesus says, I'll respond to you, but acknowledge me for who I am. First and foremost, submit to me. Now, I know that this is hard. I know it's difficult. And so we have to really wind this down and say, okay, well, what does this mean to us? It means this, for the unbeliever, for the person who's never been truly born again, it means this, you have been living your life as a radical against God, an open rebellion in all that you do, you have been the sole authority of your life. Or you've been using other people to be the authority of your life, but it has not been God. And if you will repent from that and recognize and go, I cannot be controlled control of my life. I must submit to my creator God fully and completely. That's the first step of salvation. And understand for the sins that you have committed, that Jesus Christ, God sent his son because he loves you, to die on a cross. And if you will recognize that as a sacrifice for your sins that wiped it all away, satisfied the wrath of God, you too will be saved. God will save you right where you are. But let's just be honest with ourselves. For us, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, what do you do with his teaching? You do the same thing, you repent. Right here, right now, you see in your life where that sin is, and you say, I affirm your authority, which means I will obey, I will do what it is that you say that I do. God, no more discussion, no more talking, no more talking with my spouse, no more talking with the pastor. I know that this is clear in the word of God. I will submit to you right now. That's what true repentance looks like. Now, where's the motivation for this? Because the truth is, I understand that you might be lost, you might not know Jesus, or you might think you know Jesus, and here's what's in your heart. See, this is the problem with this church. You're always talking about authority, and you Christians are always talking about doing what Jesus tells you to do, and and then there are others who sit back and say, well, listen, Mike, can't we talk about faith and hope and love and heaven? Wouldn't that be great, the the trifecta there? it'd It'd be so great, grace and mercy. Here's just what I'm saying to you. If Jesus has not all authority, you have none of that. You have none of that. Either has the authority to change you, the authority to save you, the authority to transform you into the image and likeness of Christ, or he does not. He has either the authority to grant you grace and hope and mercy, or he does not. He must have absolute authority. Now, Here's the bottom line. Every person submits themselves to someone. Every person in this place will submit themselves to someone. Lots of times, it's a group of people. Maybe educators, maybe politicians, maybe a political group, whatever it is. You submit yourself to your beliefs and the way that you live to a certain type of thinking. And here's what I'm going to say. Is there any person that would be greater and more qualified to submit to than the person of Jesus Christ? See, I'm not trying to beat you over the head. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to nudge you onto faith. There is nobody that is more loving, more kind, more compassionate, more forgiving, more gracious, more powerful, more just, more right than Jesus Christ. Nobody loves you. More than he loves you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So what I'm saying is, in this conflict of your sin, and you know what it is, the place that is clear in God's word, and you continue to be disobedient, quit talking about it, and entrust yourself to a Savior like that. Trust him. Trust that. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you and we praise you.